What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Matias and Sigrid, which they're the developers behind the title known as Obsidian Prince. Now, before I welcome them on, uh, Sigrid, because your name is way too challenging for me, I'd like to get the actual pronunciation because I cannot do it justice. <laughs> hey, Josh, it, it's Sigrid. Would not be able to do it. Every time I hear it, just can't. Um, but I am so glad that you two are both joining because anyone who knows me, I'm a huge roguelike, roguelite fan. And I think this is shaping up to be a great one from what I've seen. I, I hadn't seen this before. I, I saw it on Twitter and I was looking into it. And I love the aesthetic. I love the idea behind it. It looks a little bit complex, uh, honestly, from just diving into it. But that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on today because I, I want to talk all about this game. But... Before I dive into the game, I always, I, you know, I hate when people just, let's talk about the game. Like, who cares about you, right? Like, I want to know who you people are because games aren't just magic. Like, there's actual people behind it, right? So why don't both of you, uh, let's start with Matthias because I can't say uh, Sigrid's name correctly. <laughs> so why don't we start with him and then we'll go to you. Uh, just give me a little bit of a, a background into who both of you are and kind of how you got into the indie game space. Okay. Yeah, in the game space, it's it's um, I've I've been an IT consultant for ages, like fifteen years. I'm almost wow. forty, and I've been gaming forever, and I've always been been making like games my entire life since I started to program really. And um, when I met up with with Sigrid, I realized that she was also a really passionate gamer, and and like on our first date, we actually started talking game design about uh. Carcassonne, and that was a lot of fun. We just kind of kept going, and she got involved with one of my projects that I was making that we we canceled later on, and and uh, yeah, that was my my way in, really. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. So just to just to follow up on that, uh, the game design on Carcassonne was because I beat Matthias by I was placing the tiles close enough to the <laughs> the side of the table, and then you win <laughs> because you couldn't uh -huh. place it place down anything and he got really upset about it. that was our first day yeah, and, <laughs> and we had oh. a long deep conversation about how you could kind of have improved on that and whether it was actually cheating or not so that was when we started talking game design first um but yeah on how i got into it um i've been a gamer since i was four or five my dad brought home a commodore 64 and just been playing nice. ever since then yeah yeah it was uh, it was great time um tapes instead of <laughs> discs and then yeah what a world only, exactly um and then uh, i've worked in various um in various roles whenever i could i've been uh, writing for game reactor i was an intern at a company called runestone game development which did um which did an mmo that was story driven very, very interesting project but unfortunately couldn't get all the investment money to to go through um mm -hmm. And then I worked for Blizzard for almost five years in wow. uh, in customer support. And then I've always wanted to do my own game, but I was never good enough to code. Uh, so now I have Matthias, and he does all the heavy lifting, and I get to sit and design games, which is beautiful. <laughs> I should maybe add that as a consultant, I've actually been doing a lot of game programming, and I used to study game programming and and 
things like that. No, it's just magic. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's just magic. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. You just, you know, you uh, you boot up the computer and you tell it to do uh, the video game magic, and then we have it, right? Make a game. Press the video game. <laughs> the, press the video game button. If only it was as easy as that. So um, I, I want to dive into, I, I love hearing about this because I had uh, a couple who was on here before talking uh, about kind of like being that uh, that individual uh, meeting another and being like, oh, you know what we should do? We should spend all our time together, but also let's do it from a work level as well. And I think that's really interesting because I love my wife and I uh, live with her at home, obviously. And because of the pandemic, we both now have jobs where we work at home. And honestly, it's it's made us a lot closer, but there's always times where, you know, being so close to quarters, you're like, you can easily butt heads. And I can only imagine if you were also doing the same job as well, it would get even, you know, a little bit easier to step on each other's toes. So, you know, uh, Really, how has that been, I guess, of just being that that cohesive team in both relationship and in partnership on this game? I think it's made us stronger, actually. Yeah. This is our passion, so we get to do what we're passionate about together, which is yeah. just really fun. Uh, and we just had a baby uh, almost two years ago, hmm. uh, and and I love her. I love babies. I love my, my kids, but... Um, it's also very boring because <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of downtime, right? Where you you just you have this baby and you take care of it, but there's not a lot of like. I mean, she brain she was newborn. Activation. She was just lying there, you know, staring at stuff. <laughs> yeah. So so this has been kind of like my mental health saver because we would go for these and we still do we mm. go for these long walks with her and we would talk game design and we still mm. do that as well. You know, we go to the playground and we still stand there, push her on the swing and we talk game design. And it's it's a really cool way to to, yeah. to interact with each other as grown-ups and then do something productive with your life at the same time. So for me, it's just been great. You know, now when I think about it, we started Obsidian Prince roughly two months before she was born. We did. Wow. We were so thinking, it's... hey, we will have a baby, do a game studio. We yeah. just bought a house as well. So let's do everything. Oh, so much my goodness. Time. Wow. So what I'm hearing from you is you're both psychotic. It's nice to know. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm obviously kidding. But that is that is a lot to, to take on all at once because it, it's funny. It's, it's almost like Obsidian Prince is really is your second child in a way. Yes right yeah um, third <laughs> yeah so <laughs> so it's uh, excuse me but like it's it's kind of crazy how um how you decided to do that all at once um but let's let's dive into the actual game itself then now right so let's let's talk about what exactly is this because looking at it um it's you can kind of get confused if you're not really paying attention to what type of game this is. So like, I want to get kind of the the elevator pitch from you. You know, if someone didn't know anything about Obsidian Prince, what's what is this game all about and kind of what sets it apart from others? You know what? I have been struggling for two years <laughs> doing like <laughs> a very like tight uh, elevator pitch for this because you know, elevator pitch should be no more than 30 seconds and you should, you know, grab people's, uh, people should be able to understand it from there. Um, but it is a it is a turn-based strategic turn-based roguelike with deck building mm -hmm. mechanics uh, and a um, base building element to it. But that's kind of the boring way to to kind of say it. What we <laughs> wanted to do is we wanted to design a game that made you think, and where every kind of decision you made um, has a different. But we also wanted to add playfulness to it, 
and we wanted people to have this like world to explore um at the same time because we both love roguelikes but it's mm-hmm. it's often very kind of you get put in a box and that's you know you crawl into this dungeon you know you crawl this tower and slay mm. the spire you crawl you, you know you, you just move around here and you do the game the game mechanics on oh and over again and it's interesting because you get better at it all the time and you learn and stuff like that but mm-hmm. then what there's nothing there's there's no but then what so we wanted to add this whole world on top of that element where you can explore and get that feeling of of like a a huge unexplored space that has all of these small surprises for you so whenever you explore a new tile there will be new interesting quests but also new things uh to 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 find and get excited about. so I, I did this thing for for the royal university here in stockholm it's it's such a posh name it's just a you know university but uh, <laughs> I, I did a thing there <laughs> for uh playgrounds where we were gonna design an interactive playground for anyone between one to eight years old. And we, we got in contact with all these uh, people with PhDs and bachelors and all kinds of fancy stuff. And, and they, they've been doing a lot of studies on, well, it, it's, it's basically Easter eggs, but for kids. And, and it turned out to be that when, when you have a playground, you don't wanna give a kid a set game. You want to give it a, a, a set of buttons or set of things to interact with. And when they do, something happens. Maybe they mm-hmm. talk into something and their voice pops out somewhere else. Or maybe they press a button and something lights up. And they will construct their own games around that. So that's right. something I really wanted to bring into this game. Uh, not that that is like the core of the game. Because the core of the game, when, when we started writing this, yeah. for me, was just basically, I love Diablo 2. I love Path of Exile. I like turn-based games and permadeath. I'm I'm gonna put that into a game, and then we slapped uh, deck building on top of it because it's it's fun and cool. And then we realized that well, you know what? Everyone else is doing it. What what can we do to kind of stand out? And and then then we build a backstory mechanic where where you you basically train a hero, and everything the hero does gives you more cards, and then you have another set of cards. So you're actually playing two sets of cards, which is confusing, but really, really, <laughs> really fun. Yeah. So, so basically what we don't wanted to do with the backstories um, is that we wanted to make sure that you get some sort of feel for the hero, right? Because you're going to throw him away. Then we also wanted to feel bad when you throw him away. <laughs> so actually, just to, to preface this, we are probably going to have some sort of rescue mechanism. Or well, we are going to have yeah, some yeah. sort of rescue mechanism in the campaign world, not in the endless mode, because there you play for high school. And then when you're dead, you're dead. That's right. uh, so the backstory deck, the idea there is we want you to have impact uh, on how this character is shaped. But we also want the actions he take or she takes to impact how you play going forward and to build up this backstory around the, the hero. So for instance, if you go into a dungeon and you kill 200 zombies, maybe you get the zombie slayer backstory cards, which will then allow your hero going forward to do more yeah. damage to zombies, right? Because he has had this experience of killing zombies and now he understands right. how you do that in the best shape way yeah. before. Then you get like a caterer heroes, each specializing in, in different enemies or tile sets and, and stuff like that. and. You, you train them from before them when they were heroes. So basically, you you go and recruit a hero. They have one or two backstory cards. Then you put them 
where are they going to train? Like, well, I want you to train in the barrack or I want you to go out into the forest and, and shoot squirrels or whatever. And they do that for a while. They get new backstory cards. They come back. You have a look at them and, and then you say, oh, all that squirrel shooting sure would make you a good, I don't know, fire mage. And uh, so you put them <laughs> in the fire mage house and, and uh, you give some more backstory cards. And then you have like a finished class where all the decisions you made for this here actually has an impact. Disclaimer, no squills were heard in the No, 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 definitely. Uh, yeah, of course, of course not, of course. But, but so, if I can just jump back just for a second and talk about the playfulness. This is a long elevator ride. Yeah, yeah I know, yeah, yeah. yeah this, is, this is, so this is every time you start talking about one piece to it, I'm always like, okay, but like, can we dive a little deeper into that section? And then you're like, oh, but hold on. There's more. No, no, no. I just wanted to, to, to go back to what Matthias was talking about when, no, when no, we designed the, the game around playfulness as well. So we have this whole core mechanic, which is, you know, just one more turn, basically. You know, yeah. we, you, you just, you just one more, more room. But then we have the playfulness, which doesn't really have an impact on the actual game, but it's something that is really nice between runs. So for instance, in the old world, we have implemented this cat house, which I would, anyone who plays the game should try and find the cat house because it basically <laughs> shoots out cats and yeah. you can you can drown the entire world in cats and they yeah. will follow the mouse because cats chase mice, right? Uh, so, so, so we have all of that and we have a lot of those small elements across the map that yeah. you can explore and find and hopefully get this kind of, oh, that was fun. And then, you know, you move on because it doesn't have an impact, but it makes the, the world more alive. And that's kind of our, our point of adding that. We, we should talk about what makes our like deck mechanic special. We should let because... Josh ask a question. Oh, <laughs> yeah, this is such this is such an interesting um, interview so far, because for me, I feel like a lot of the questions I have have been around many of the mechanics, but you've taken my very basic, you know, what is your game and decided to be like, we'll hit everything. You sit back <laughs> and relax. <laughs> well, I mean, we're doing the work for you. You can't complain. I know <laughs> it's nice. No, I mean, hey, this the whole point is for you to talk about your game, right? To talk about who you are and what your game is. And you're doing it. If I don't have to be here, like, I guess it's fine. It's just an outlet, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, no, it's awesome to talk to you. But <laughs> we've been playing a lot of deck games since we decided to put de a deck into our game. And, and we really want to like understand what makes it fun and what makes it not fun. So right. we've been playing Slay the Spire. We've mm -hmm. been playing, what's that monster? Monster Train. Monster Train. Monster train. Mon yep. monster, is it called Monster Hunter or something? It's no, one that's of the, the old, other one. With it, the... It's one of the old school ones. Yeah, monster it's good. It's good. Something. I like both the monster games, but... <laughs> all the monster <laughs> games. We like all the monster games. Yeah. All monsters. <laughs> but what we realized was that having an ability tied to a card bogs down your deck in a way where you can't really control your character. So we decided to split your skills from the deck. So the deck applies passive abilities to your skills. So you can always jump, you can always, uh, you know, throw your throwing axe or, or spit fire if you need to. But if you have the right inspirations for that turn, every time you move, you, you grab three new cards, you can start doing bigger area effects. You can start regenerating mana, and you can randomly spawn mushrooms. Yeah, randomly spawn yeah. mushrooms if you're a mole. As you do. Yeah, <laughs> because we want the player to feel that they have basically perfect information regarding what they have right now when they're making their decisions. So they don't mm -hmm. really know what the enemies are gonna do, except if they can shoot you with an arrow or something. Um, 
but it's basically trying to get random stuff in your game in a way which gives the player the optimum amount of control. Matthias hmm. hates random. I do. With dice, a dice hates me. <laughs> I have been yeah. chased down by dice and, and mugged. It's a childhood trauma. <laughs> it is. It is. Oh man, what a! I didn't realize we had such a serious trauma here. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting because um, it it definitely feels almost backwards that you would have that that response and that that uh, you know just hatred for RNG <laughs> when you are adding these cards and this element of of a roguelike a roguelite this this world of procedural generation and things like that like it is an interesting twist to be like yeah but i also want to just know everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean that's the beauty of the way we've implemented both the inspirations which you get every turn and then mm -hmm. the backstory cards which you choose every room so yes uh, for backstory cards when you come into a room you get a choice between five out of your deck of 30 and mm -hmm. so you get some sort of uh, level of, of control there. Yeah. Uh, so you get to pick three of them and they will have an impact on the entire room. So one of them could be a jump is free whenever all enemies are at full health or right. you get uh, a small heal or um, the floor is lava where there's random fires <laughs> in the room, right? So you have some, some level of control uh, of what you want to do and what kind of your, your needs are right now. So if you're taking a lot of damage, maybe you want to heal if you... Um, if you have just leveled up your fire uh, skill tree, maybe you want to take the floor as lava. Mm. Um, and if you, there's a lot of like ifs and whats, and uh, it ties into what your situation is, what your skill is, set is, what your inspiration deck is, right? right? And what weapons you have decided to take. And then you have the inspirations. Every uh, turn, you will get new inspirations, three new inspirations drawn from your deck. They're meant uh, to inspire you. Yeah, they they were they actually didn't start out <laughs> as as uh, as as cards, it didn't start out as a deck nah. builder. We were like, we don't want to be a deck builder. And then like right. a year into development, we were like, okay, we are a deck builder. So we might yeah. as well make it into cards, right? Okay. <laughs> so but, but these are passives, uh, passively applied if you use the abilities that they're tied to. So yep. for instance, we have- um, Heavy jump. We have heavy jump, which is tied to your jump ability. Uh, and it stuns everyone around you when you jump on them. Um, okay. Um, but if you decide not to jump this turn, it doesn't have an effect. But it suddenly gives you more choices without right. us having to add more uh, confusion, yeah. so to speak. Like we, we only have a couple of uh, abilities, which you have one for each of the weapons you have equipped. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can uh, re you can equip any weapon in the game, by the way, on any character. And yeah. that will then change the types of inspirations you get. And then you have two class abilities. And they also have uh, several inspirations tied to it that yeah. you can get. Um, and then we have jump, and we have move, and we have weight, weight uh, which generates uh, energy. So those have the uh, inspirations tied to them as well. Um, and then when you level up, you get to pick some and you put it into a deck. And then, of course, with any deck builder, it's about you know picking the right one, not right. diluting your deck with bad ones. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that and that's it. But it gives you, despite not having a ton of different abilities, every turn feels like it's a new decision because you mm -hmm. have so many things that you have to take into account and, and and that will alter the way you actually utilize those abilities then. Makes I sense. realize that we're 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 on a podcast and they don't know what the game looks like. Yeah. So 
it's the most beautiful little thing you've ever seen. That's, that's <laughs> so. This is this goes into one of my first can, uh, questions that I wanted to get into before mechanics, but we are just <laughs> jumping all around. That is okay though. Um, my first question is really like where this comes because I I get this almost uh, Lego or very blocky aesthetic to it, kind of like. You know, I think it goes into that whole inspiration of of the world building around you and kind of that that pieces coming together as you explore and you almost building this world yourself in a way, right? Um, but this is my assumption. I'm sure there's probably a different reason or other inspiration that you pulled from. So what exactly did do you attribute to the art direction? So we're we're using voxels. And Voxels, uh, I mean, everyone knows about Minecraft and, and mm -hmm. I've been playing a lot of Minecraft and I, I enjoy voxels and I enjoy crafting uh, good looking houses in, in Minecraft using the blocks you get. So I think maybe 10 years back, fifth. Oh, wow. How long is this? <laughs> doesn't matter. Maybe 10 <laughs> years ago. Let's say once upon a time, I got really into voxels. And I decided to build my own Minecraft. As you do. Yeah. yeah. And that lasted for about two weeks because <laughs> uh, a lot of game development doesn't really take off. Um, but it, it was a really fun deep dive in, in how you work with voxels and what you would need to have to, to draw nice looking stuff in voxels. Mm -hmm. I know that there are nice editors for, for Minecraft out there, but I've never actually used them. When I was playing Minecraft, it was almost in the beta days for, for that game. But I, I kind of went back and forth for it. At some, at some point, I, I realized I just wanted to write my own uh, voxel editor. So I did that. And that was a lot of fun. And I realized that there was a lot of tiny little issues with like, how do I see what's inside this chest that I'm making if, mm -hmm. if I want to open it later? Or can I more nicely change the colors in various ways and attach various rendering devices and all that stuff. Um, and then I found an editor called Magica Voxel that did all this for me, which was fantastic. It's, it's an awesome tool. And I started drawing in that. And then I realized as we were making this game that I've been drawing voxel art for two or three years. And maybe it's about time that I use some of that. Yeah. <laughs> for something. Yeah. So yeah, we did. Yeah, so so Matthias is super, super, super talented when it comes to any sort of drawing, right? But um the boxes were just really easy for us to to work with. Um really easy to uh to make a lot out of a little. Mm -hmm. And um and also just you know, we really like the style. We like in hindsight maybe it would have been easier for us to sell with pixel graphics because it's more kind of mainstream. Um, mm. But but we do really like the style, um, so that's why we we went the boxes. And actually, it's funny because a, a, a lot of people have given us the feedback that the overworld in Obsidian Prince looks a lot like kind of the old settlers games, which hmm. were in, in, in pixels. But I guess, I guess it's kind of the same vibe, though, the kind of like idyllic, cutesy, um, yeah, uh, vibe that yeah. is it's uh, giving off. So now when it comes to mechanics or the flow of gameplay, so we already talked <laughs> quite a bit about a number of different pieces. Uh, we went through kind of, you know, the different mechanics. There's cards, there's, you know, you have a, a number of abilities, you have that that combat phase, but there's also, like you mentioned, that that 
building of the world, that exploration. There seems to be a little bit of crafting in here as well from what I've seen in, in some of the trailer. Um, you, you appear to have a lot going on, right? So can we dive into, and I, I know I might be asking a lot with this, but before we dive too deep, can we get like a quick rundown of like, what is the gameplay loop? You know, what is the, I start this off, I have my overworld phase. I have these dungeons, you know, like what does it look like from a, a start to finish almost of a run as you would think of in, in a roguelike? Yeah. So if you're playing the campaign mode, the, the whole game loop is basically starting the town. A couple of events happen and an event can be something like, oh, your trainee Peter has gotten a fight at the pub. And now you need to help him out to make a decision on what he's going to do. You do that, and he gets a backstory card. You go and have a look at the, the map, and you realize that you want to go into, let's say, the purple crypt because you need more uh, mushrooms to, to build a new house for the mole group. Right, makes sense. To do something else. You just yeah. press to explore a new type. Yeah, you can definitely explore a new type. <laughs> so... You click on the quest or or like the marker for brings you that brings you to the next thing. And then you you bring up the hero selection. You pick your hero, depending on how you crafted your heroes. Like maybe you're going down a fire dungeon and you need someone with really good fire resistance. And you press enter, you go down, and you're presented with, with the solder rooms and some enemies. You check them out, see what the kind of pros or cons are. Maybe it's it's a different fire dungeon than, than what you usually think. You you beat the room, the map opens, and you can kind of start seeing where you can explore. And eventually that's going to lead you into situations like, I'm not sure if I want to open that door yet because it might make things too da dangerous. Mm -hmm. I want to save that healing spot for a little while because I don't know how much damage I'm going to take in the next room. I think I can make it. And you keep doing that until you hit the, the dungeon boss, so to speak. Hopefully you, you beat him, and, and when you do, you're rewarded a backstreet card for defeating the dungeon. Maybe you kill 200 zombies. Maybe you set everyone on fire repeatedly, and now you get a five-star card. And maybe you took a lot of damage, so you also get a broken leg. <laughs> yeah, that back, bad backstories as well. Yeah, oh, interesting. Okay. And you go back up into town, you put your uh, hero that you had in the hospital, and you start over. Hmm. It's it's interesting because it, it, it reminds me in a lot of ways, uh, which obviously it does not have the aesthetic for it, but in a lot of ways of Darkest Dungeon, right? Because you yes. seem to have these, these characters, you then have these ailments uh, of sorts that you get via the backstory, and then you're going to the next one, right? Um, yeah. I wanted to quickly touch upon one thing that you mentioned, which was there was a part where you were saying something about helping an individual and getting them a background story card, right? Mm -hmm. So in this, are these individuals that you're interacting with, are these all different characters that you can take down into the dungeon and they all have their own specific, you know, like uh, structure or class? Yeah, so exactly. So that's the kind of your trainees. And you bring one here. You you bring you bring one of them. We we only have one character in the dungeon at the time. Uh, we gotcha. Were just, we were discussing multiple uh, characters at some point, maybe in a DLC if we sell well enough. <laughs> we'll see. Mm -hmm. but, the the reason why we're not doing a lot of heroes at the same time is because well everyone else is doing it. 
and <laughs> we want to stand out and we have incredibly complex gameplay uh, with a lot of states that you keep you keep in your head and right. having five heroes you would end up with a very very different game it also gives us the opportunity to really really make sure that each each hero is interesting to play so you, right. we don't you don't really need multiple heroes for it to be interesting if the hero you're playing is interesting in itself and can do a lot of different uh, decisions uh, and plays differently depending on on the backstory cards and the and the inspirations you have but it's yeah. it's also the I mean, it's turn-based, and you can talk about macro turns and micro turns. So, if you play a game like Fire Emblem, you have something which, which I think of as a macro turn. You get to move ten bits of places and then mm-hmm. dish out a lot of damage. But in our game, you get to either move or attack. You have micro turns where you do something very small, then everyone else does something very small, and then it starts over. But but for the for the trainees, it's it's basically we have five different classes um, that you can train people for. You get trainees, you find them. You, you ha- they all have they come with backstories mm-hmm. already. They come with three different ones. So you basically pick the trainee with the backstory card you like the best, or the trainee with the best blood type. Or <laughs> we have, we have, we have, we have some we have some funny things with the um, with the kind of random generated. Um, uh, favorite food and blood, uh, blood right. type. Yeah, it feels very uh, rogue legacy, if you will. Uh, yeah, but so you pick the one that you think has the best most, uh, best potential, and then mm-hmm. you decide, okay, so this person first has to be trained and get some backstory cards that are more kind of generic ones, uh, and then after that, you also have to decide on the class, and you place it for training for that class, and then it gets class-specific backstory cards as well. This gotcha. actually... Sorry to interrupt you there. It brings us into what is a character in our game. And in our game, we actually have set the max level rather low because it's it's 20. Each level, you get a new inspiration card. So in order for the power level for your character, your trainee or your, your chosen hero is, is going to work, you need to understand very early on, how can I build this guy? How can I really optimize this? Which weapons can I pick for these cards to kind of come together? And in order to progress into a a late, late game, like I I love Guild Wars 1, which has Mm -hmm. been a big inspiration in this. They also have a low max level. And then they give you a variety of options that you can play around with instead. And where am I going with this? Am I just babbling? (laughs) End game content is... Building a backstory deck because your character is going to be finished rather early on, but your backstory right. keeps adding. You exactly. keep potting it and, and replacing stuff. We wanted to make sure that the character could evolve after it was complete. And kind of like uh, as a person, you're going through life, you change over time, right? So you'll right. be able to change out parts of your backstory. You forget that childhood trauma yeah. and you replace it yeah, with a new... Yeah, the plucky teenage hero becomes a <laughs> grim, dark, derp man with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> I really I really enjoy that because it, it does make like you were saying it, it goes into that having one character at a time having them be the only person in a dungeon having them understand or or learn that backstory based on whatever it is that you're doing in the dungeon like I think that would be a lot harder to equate to having multiple heroes and having multiple actions and it, it just seems a little bit uh 
I mean, not that it wouldn't be doable. It's obviously much more complex, but it gives you that more intimate side of building who that one person is and being able to say like, oh, these are my favorite trainees, right? Like that you can definitely get an appreciation for certain ones that you're bringing. Now, the, the one question I have about this though is how do you get a trainee, right? Like why do I have these random people? Why do I get to pick them? When do I get to pick them? Oh, we've talked so much about kind of <laughs> what what are you? Uh, and, and what we come, come to realize is we, we need to establish what are you uh, when you are in the overworld, right? Because you're in the in dungeon, you will always be the character, right? Because you live yourself into the shoes of the person you're playing. But right. in the overworld, who are you? Because you're not any of the heroes. You're some kind of magical god. And we've been talking about you being the mayor of the town. And, and that's kind or of... guild leader. Guild right. leader. That's kind of where we're ending up at the moment, that you are the mayor of the town, building up this small town, because you can also build in the overworld. And so you can build a, an alchemist if you find and save the alchemist. You can... Mm -hmm. uh, you can build uh, an arena. You can build uh, different swordsmith, etc., etc. So you can build up this this big sprawling town uh, from very little um, area that you start out with. Uh, so, so yes, the question was, uh, how do you get them? Well. For some reason, trainees really like to, to wander into the woods. Yeah. And they see this <laughs> tiny town and they're like, hey, this looks like a place where Let's I go could, to the inn. <laughs> could go to the inn and hang for a bit. <laughs> um, so, so the storyline we have at the moment uh, for the first trainee is that you save them in the, in the innkeeper's uh, basement uh, because okay. he has a rat infestation. Uh, that he has asked several different <laughs> adventurers to take care of, uh, and they have all failed and gotten <laughs> trapped down trapped, there. Yeah. So, so inside, oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we, we really, we really, we like puns and we like uh, making fun of of um, fantasy tropes. So yeah. there's a lot of that. Uh, although we have made it very. Uh, easy to avoid the humor in the game if you don't want to but if you like humor then you can deep dive into our our weird magical brain functions <laughs> <You like puns. laughs> yeah no but um so basically you will you will be able to go to the inn or the adventure school and you'll pick trainees that are coming and offer themselves up yep. uh, for uh for adventure training basically um yeah so that's how it works Very and cool. then as you explore the world, you will be finding people of other classes uh, and they will then help you build a class training center. For instance, you'll find the ranger, you'll find the fire and uh, the candle mage, and they will help you build um, a training center for that particular class where you can then start training uh, trainees in different classes as well. Gotcha. I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next question is really what are these classes? So I, I've only seen three based on the um, you have like hero spotlights or, or, or different class spotlights. Um, and I've seen it through a, a number of trailers and, and videos that are out there. Um, what exactly are all these classes? And um, I know you're, you're coming up to an early access point, uh, hopefully sometime soon. Are all of these classes going to be part of that, or are you still currently working on them? So we, we currently have three, uh, five classes that are done. Yeah. We have the Candle Mage, uh, which likes fire a lot. We have the Mold Druid, <laughs> who is spreading mold and trying to kind of box uh, enemies in and using mold to, to kill them with poison. Uh, we have the Rouge, 
the, it's the Rouge, very important, yeah. uh, who, who likes backstabbing people with big knives uh, and, okay. and stealth around and sneak. So, so this one's called Rouge because as a Swede, uh, spelling rogue was very very hard when I started playing World of Warcraft. So actually, I always said Rouge. Actually, it's and not just you. It's it's. I was a game master for World of Warcraft, and the amount of Rouges I have gone through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so we have that. We have the Ranger, which we're probably going to rename to something we haven't completely decided yet. But I am very keen on Crow Whisperer, which is now canon. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is how I slide it in. Uh, who uses um, her crow or? His crow because pig. it can be each gender. And right. She has a flying pig, and she has a fly. She can get a backstory where it turns into a flying pig and stuff. Oh, <laughs> but, I like it. All right. Uh, and she uses um, uh, hunter's mark, and then finally we have the warrior, which was the first class we designed, mm. uh, very close to our hearts, and he is very kind of mobile, but also uh, area affecty. Area affecty and mm. um, mm. likes charging a lot while yelling. Ah. <laughs> 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 As most people do, I guess. The, the, we, we've noticed that it's very hard to change class in our game because each class plays very, very differently. If, if you're playing the warrior, you can really go in and dish damage and go out. But if you would play the rouge in that way, you, you would explode in, in a matter of, of a couple of turns. And it's it, it, it gives you like a mental overhead to switch character, even though you only have like four different abilities and, mm -hmm. and you know the standard stuff i wouldn't say it's hard per se it, it's that people very quickly find their own personal favorite and yeah. we've seen this with uh, with our uh, alpha systems and with streamers that they all often default back to their old favorite and the good thing is that it's not the same one which makes us very yeah. happy obviously yeah. because that means that we have designed classes that cater to very different play styles and people's right. personal preferences um, but it's it's really funny because we we have we have one guy who just plays the warrior. He, yeah. he, I don't think he's he's touched the others once or twice, but then he goes back to the warrior. But he and replaced he, all the weapons. But he replaces the, all the weapons. And then we have one guy who just plays the mold druid. Uh, and then we have one who is just really into the fire mage uh, or candle mage. And it, it just makes us really happy because yeah. it means that all of the classes are fun to play uh, right. for different peoples, right? So. Yeah, a little I have, bit. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say a little bit of something for everyone, but no, continue. <laughs> So I have a theory about why people pick other classes than, than each other. And I, I think a lot of it comes down to when you play the game, you make a, a really nitty gritty mental image of where you are and what's going on and what's going to happen f the next five turns. Mm -hmm. And when you switch class, there's this really big context switch, which, which makes it hard to kind of project what the game is going to be. Right. Yeah, I, I think that definitely does make sense. And it, it goes into my next question, which is obviously you you mentioned it. Playing one class type as as the warrior and then going to the rouge and being like, oh, this is this is totally different. I'm not gonna be able to make it. Uh common to many roguelikes, Obsidian Prince will contain permadeath. So if that character dies, they're gone, right? That trainee is gone. Um you mentioned that when a hero dies, their gear is lost and their body is laid to rest. And there, there was a mention that there's like a kind of like a graveyard where you can see those that have have fallen. Um, but as far as progression goes, I'm assuming that's pretty much it from that specific character. But your main progression is through that that world. Correct? Is there any other form of like even if someone dies, is there a big detriment to your 
your you know your playthrough like how much of an impact does it make when you lose that character yeah so so um this is this is a uh, discussion we have at mm. the moment um we we really want to have a mode where there's permadeath uh, and the reason is uh, i don't know if we want to um reveal too much but mm-hmm. let's just do it anyway the yeah. reason is that Ooh, we, here we go <laughs> we want to implement um another tile set that we haven't done yet which is called hades and uh, oh. or maybe something else <laughs> depending on yeah. what we name it in the end but uh, the idea is that you would when your hero dies you would go down into the underworld with another hero and you would be able to go down fight his soul and bring him back so oh. it would be able to revive the character if you put a lot of effort into this one uh, and you would have to design a another character around uh, being really good at countering the character that died because you would have to fight him and the entire tile set and the entire tile set right so you if you have invested a lot in someone you can bring him back but that's going to be a challenge on its own so we really want to get that in because we understand that you know losing a hero that you really really connected to sucks and but at the same time it's also you know kind of (laughs) you need there need to be risk right for it to be worth it Um, right I, I mean, love we, this idea, by the way. Yeah, Just to, <laughs> sorry to cut you off, but I, I, I never really thought of this um, from a roguelike perspective of being like, no, but I really like you have that all the time. Where in in many of these games, you get that one build or that one, you know, whatever it might be, and you're like, this is so great. And then maybe something that uh, you know you still end up screwing up. Maybe it's something on your end. Maybe it's something on the game's end. But you're like, damn, I really enjoyed the way that character was built and the you know the the playthrough that i had and then you continue that and try to get power-ups or abilities or things that that match similar to that but obviously with many of these it's you know it's randomized it's you have to hope that you get those same kind of combination but this is almost ensuring that right because you get to go back and be like no i want that experience again like i'm i'm going to get it yeah, exactly. So we, we really want to implement this. And this is one of the first thing that we're going to do after early access. Yeah. That's the plan. And we won't get it into early access. We have a lot of other things that we, we really want to get in first to make that feeling of playing really mm. tight and really satisfying. Right. But, yeah. um, but this is one of the first thing that we have on the roadmap right after early access to get in. So we're really excited about this because we've been designing the entire experience and we've been talking about that since the beginning of the game. This was one of the first thing we decided on. <laughs> and and it, it, I mean, we've also designed uh, a completely new class just for this tile set. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So we have we have we have all of the pieces designed, and we just need uh, Matthias to to click the uh, make video game yeah, button yeah. on his yeah. uh, faster. <laughs> <laughs> it just needs to click it faster. Right. Yeah, that button takes uh, a little bit of time some sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, and then but just I love to add it. to that, uh, we 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 are also uh, probably going to put in two different uh, difficulties in the campaign world. Uh, so one which will most likely not feature permadeath and the other one which will be harder more challenging and just because we also understand that our people who would really enjoy our game and the gameplay loop but maybe not have the time or or Mm. want to to see their characters die so that is something that we are currently trying to design around so that we can have that option as well for people who just want to have fun and uh, and maybe not uh, risk uh, losing heroes in the same way Right. Yeah. I love the accessibility uh, sense of it. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that as well, because you you 
said basically there's a campaign mode, right? Which means there's other modes. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the game modes that are available. So there's an endless, there's daily runs, and then the campaign mode. Can you tell me a little bit uh, about the other two? Yeah, so the endless mode is essentially you pick a hero and you see how far down you can go. And... That's it. Let's go. <laughs> so yeah. So that's and that's kind of what I wanted to get to is because you have so many intricate like uh, pieces to it, right? You have that overworld. You have the dungeon. You have the the crafting. You have the, the the building that that overworld, so to speak. Like for endless, I'm assuming this is just one specific character and just going down into the dungeon as far as you can. Correct. Yes. And it, it came with a like difficulty of, of of making the endless mode in comparison to campaign mode because. There are things in the campaign mode that we want to bring over to the endless run to kind of make the, the builds for the characters click. So we've come up with rooms to give the character new backstory cards mm -hmm. and give them uh, other kind of equipments and things like that. And finally, we, we have the campsite, which is really important to, to eat food, which gives you buffs, but there are very few campsites. So you really got to get lucky with finding it and having the right stuff and saving it for the right moment and then going in. Yeah, and uh, right now um, our endless mode is actually quite, it's quite, there's still features uh, or rooms that we want to add, but it's quite feature complete. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's that's the one if you are looking uh, on, the, on the web, you will probably see streamers or YouTubers who have played through this. Um, uh, and it's it's really funny because we have our alpha testers and we have streamers and they are all competing for the high score and getting really <laughs> invested in this. And so we are hoping to see that, of course, when we go into to the live version as well, that that will just explode because right. we, we ourselves think it's really fun. Yeah. Um, but we can no longer beat our players. Our no. players are better than they us. Are. <laughs> we I've seen the streamers. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the streamers. They do some weird stuff to get some really specific uh, combos, and then they just kick out. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's beautiful to watch. <laughs> you gotta love it. Um, based on some recent trailers, and you also mentioned this, uh, you know, somewhat, but early access is coming this year. Uh, on Steam and possibly sometime very soon. Can you give us an idea on when the listeners might expect to pick this up? Yes, uh, I can. I, uh, <laughs> I can. So we are we are aiming for end of April nice. uh, this year, two thousand and twenty-one. So very very soon. Um, and of course, with everything, there's a risk, and we are in a pandemic at the moment. So if something, what are you talking about? What's someone, a pandemic? Exactly. <laughs> if someone gets sick or whatever, uh, of course we will have to delay. But we we really want to get it. We're so excited because we're yeah. so close to the finish line. What what we actually have made our goal, um, because we have played a lot of early access, we've played a lot of games. We wanted to make sure that when we go out in early access, we are as close to feature complete as possible. And then yeah. it's just about adding more fun content for the people who purchase the game. So it should be like a really nice, clean fun experience even before we we go into like um the final release right. uh, so we can actually have a lot of fun with the game uh, even even at the start of early access uh, and yeah. we are we are almost there yeah. uh, so right now we are on track for end of april and um, awesome we'll see you know <laughs> yeah well i'm very excited i can't wait to to check it out um let's talk a little bit because you know obviously there are many reasons to to go into early access first just trying to to fully 1.0 release something and, and push it out there but um 
I just want to, you know, ask, I love asking this, you know, what are you hoping to accomplish while this game is in its early access phase? We want a lot of feedback. I think that's yeah. the main thing. Like we, we could probably push this out for like, okay. So first of all, there's a, a matter of funding, right? We, we only yep, have a, a certain amount of money that we can run on. Uh, and so we need to, <laughs> at some point we need to recuperate some of that. But actually the main reason for us to go into early access is that games like these are really um, only getting better the more feedback you, you get. And we've yeah. had some insane fantastic and shout out to you guys who have tested totally. the game yeah. and played it and the streamers who played it and give us, us like insanely good feedback that has helped us tweak <laughs> and yeah just make it so much better than we could have without our community and um, and of course we are hoping for even more of that when we go into early access so our plan is for sure to just I wanted to say sit back and listen. Of course, we're not going to do that because there's going to be a lot of things that also need to be worked on. And we want more tile sets and more classes yeah. and more bosses and, and more, more campaign and more tiles. And, yeah. Uh, but but <laughs> we, we really we go into this with the hope of people just, you know, jumping onto our Discord and just telling us, we think this would be awesome or we like this, but we don't like this. And we think this would be a great addition, uh, you know, all the feedback we can get. And then of course we are a small team. We won't be able to implement everything that we get, but the more we can get from people, the better we can make the game. So that's the main reason to go into early access, I would say. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I only have one last question for you. Um, thank you to both of you for coming on. This is a lot of fun. Uh, it was also an interesting dynamic because the, <laughs> I think the first half was really your show as opposed to mine, which I, I thought was a, an interesting twist. Um, and I, I say that with uh, a lot of love. Uh, so don't, don't take that the wrong way. Um, it was a very long elevator ride. <laughs> I know. I, I, I think that's going to be quite a trailer for you to create. But... Um, <laughs> But the last one is really, I, I just always like asking at the end of this uh, show, just general advice. Um, and it's really for those who might want to get into where you're sitting, you know, your seat as far as those who are interested in game development. Um, do you, especially, I'm sure, you know, going through a pandemic, having a child, buying a house, trying to create your own video game, it's like, there's a lot going on, right? But like, what has gotten you through uh, this time as far as you know something that you think others can take away or what is something that has held you back that you're like don't do this <laughs> so before i met sigrid i i had a tendency to maybe take projects halfway and it's one of those things that you do as a developer when, when you have a ton of ideas and very little time sigrid has has really helped me like focus uh my efforts into one game so my advice is find the secret and latch <laughs> on to her so that you can focus on your projects. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's very cute. As sweet, I, as sweet as that is, I don't think it's scalable, but I like it. <laughs> I think what, 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 like one thing that we, um, we have learned, we have learned so much for this whole yeah. process and we, we have all intentions of doing another game after this because now we have a studio, right? So we have to, can't have a studio with just one game. Uh, that would be silly. Um, so <laughs> so um, one thing that we have learned from this is um, do a very tight uh, and, and well-constructed vertical slice yeah. to begin with because we were, we were searching for publishers uh, at the beginning and um, while people loved kind of the whole concept of things, 
uh, I think they got a little bit confused as to what it actually was. Mm-hmm. There was so, a lot of placeholder art. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so so make it very like make it small, but make it tight and make it very uh, good. Iterative. <laughs> A vertical yeah. slice that you can present if you're looking for publisher and the other thing i would say is um flourishes and finishes mean a lot and these small playful things that we have put in they mean a lot and it, in the beginning we were we were very good at saying oh but we this is just placeholder right let's just get everything yeah. done so we have the game done and then we can start making it look nicer mm-hmm. and in inside it has one it was harder to get out there with it and show people because people will be like, ah, but it doesn't look that good and it's not that interesting. So it was harder to build a community in the beginning. Uh, and the other th- thing was that it's actually created a lot of, I don't think we've saved a lot of work because we would have to go back then through old code yeah. and find, like for instance, sounds uh, was something that we were just skipping in the beginning and it would probably actually have been faster to just put them in as we were going. Because now we have to go and backtrack everything and find out what, what was the code and where should yeah. we put this. So, so I would say, you know, yeah, it, don't don't forget the flourishes and the as, and the nice touches uh, as you go. Yeah. Very also, cool. find a really fun concept quickly. Yeah. And if you can't find it, scrap the project. Because I've been joking around about um, trashing uh, projects that went nowhere, but I trashed them because they weren't fun. Yeah. So yeah. when we found this, we realized very early on that what is, it was fun because we, we started racing each other in the game. I mm. And and actually, that's our whole design ethos. That is, if it's not fun, just grab it. It has yeah. no place in the game. If we if we if we sit and we design something and we're both saying, yeah, but where's the fun in that? Then it's like, oh, we need to work around this, or we need to find another place, or we just need to scrap this feature completely because it's it's just not fun. If we can't find the fun in it. Then the players won't be able to eat, then there's no point in implementing it. I have an example. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gotten a lot of questions about why can't my hero walk around and explore the room once the combat is over? And the re- it, it's kind of counterintuitive because you would like to, to have a look at stuff, but you would probably only want to have a look at stuff once or twice. So right. if you have to walk to the end of the room every time you end up breaking like the flow of the player. And that's what you want to keep. That's what civilization really, really hit on with the just one more turn ethos. And I think we've, we've hit on it as well by cutting everything away that just didn't leave the player into another decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I, I think these are all lovely points i hope that someone takes uh you know if if they're in that seat take something away from it if not i hope that they just uh you know enjoyed this conversation because i had a lot of fun today and i hope that uh you have uh, a a very you know prosperous time with the early access release i hope you get all the feedback you're looking for um for those who are listening obsidian prince is going to be released as they said pretty darn soon so by the time this comes up within the next week or so if it still hits for that end of april uh it'll it'll be out um so make sure to go over to their steam page even if you're listening to this just now and it hasn't come out be sure to wish list uh, it so you can pick it up the minute it does uh or just you know uh check it out and see if it's uh right for you um i i just want to thank you guys both again once again thank you so much for joining today 
Thank you so much for having us. It was a lot of fun. That's actually, as a final note, one of the best things about this is all the amazing people we yeah. have met in the journey. The streamers, the community, you guys who are helping push it forward. It's just, it's it's so fun. There's so many good people in, in this industry. Thank you. And it was really fun to talk to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck with the game. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.